0: Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson, 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 Carlson. Hoj, här kommer Carlson. Carlson Carlson, Carlson Ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson, vill jag så bra som mig Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! all yeah all yeah, yeah, so Yes! Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Girls Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey hockey podcast in the world, hosted by a guy who I'll admit I spent a bit last season. We brought in Ben, we brought in Lewis, you know, Dave Benton, but still we've been able to lock in my co-host for a long-term contract. We just barely under the cap. I'm your host, Dylan Dubrovsky, and with me, the man of the hour, the person who is going to be breaking down all of the free agency movements and all of the big trades that we didn't catch in... Parts one and two, it's the fantasy hockey robot, the poop-off prognostication himself, Brian, come! Hello, Elon. Hello,
1: everyone. You're talking about me like it's my birthday, the man of the hour, but I'm just here. Like, I'm the usual man of, I'm the man of an hour, which is what we hope to bring you, chock full of fantasy content, because, I mean, Elon, we weren't planning on doing a part three. We did a part one. We did a part two. We realized we needed more time And in the meantime, I'm actually glad we took that breather because more stuff was happening. I was flabbergasted. I was like, I was awestruck by the Calgary, Florida trade that dropped what? At like 1130 on a Friday night? Like I thought my night was winding down and I couldn't relax. I was just like constantly looking for news and trying to think through angles. So I'm glad we waited so we could cover all all of that with uh, the rest of free agency acquisition day and everything that happened in the couple days after that just was not important enough to
0: get to in part one or part two not not important enough the Detroit Red Wings champs were, were very important to get to but you know we, we had we'd been going a long time but yeah I thought we had baby enough for a part three but I think we might have a part three and a part four now that we have these two big trades that happened last week well the one mammoth trade and then the one kind of Bjork strand is still like guess something definitely worth talking about so yeah it's been a wild week and I'm really excited to get into it all with you brian of course first let's mention we are proudly presented by dobberhockey.com i'll admit i may have cheated a little bit Brian. i don't know don't get mad at me but i spent some time today on dobber hockey reading through some fantasy impact articles (laughs) to get their takes on which players uh fantasy value went up and went down i promise in the end i'm still giving you know my my takes as we go but why not see what other people are saying uh it's just a really great set i really love how they cover all the trades with just like a a, you know they write it up and then afterwards you just have a final list of like who value went up whose value went down like a nice summary so yeah check that out all the tools of frozen tools dabberhockey.com it's the best okay but with that brian let's just get into it and yeah friday night was madness we were like, chatting you know our discord is like very busy during the regular season you know people are always talking about their weeks and like who they should add drop like it's, it's a lot of fun pretty bumping there's like games on every night so we're discussing that then over the summer it gets a little quiet then like you know last week for free agency it, it got hot again we were all talking about all the signings that they were coming in and, you know last week by the end of the week it was starting to cool off a little until like friday night It was just like the news comes out uh, deal has been you know reached we still didn't know what the return would be what it went and then when it came down matthew kachuk traded from calgary with a fourth okay which converts to a to a first in 2026 by the way there, there's some weird but who cares about that okay kachuk goes to florida for jonathan huberdo Mackenzie Weger, a prospect named Cole Schwint and a 2025 first round pick. We're in 2022. We're talking about 2025. Florida's like traded all their picks away, but it uh, doesn't matter, I guess, because they've got Matthew Kachuk. But whoa, what a price. I, uh, it's really fun. This has been a really fun, Brian, because I feel like uh, there's been some interesting discussions about, you know, some people think one side really won the trade. Some people think another really won the trade. I think the people who don't like really think in terms of that like cap mindset are like, wow, like calgary just pulled off like the best trade ever you know florida got swindled like kachuk like didn't even have you know he said he wasn't going to sign like calgary didn't even have any leverage yet somehow they pulled this huge return but yeah i think like when you start thinking about it it's like florida i really like the move for florida i actually think it's like a nice win-win like obviously for calgary like you know Kachuk's not signing with them if they could have gotten kachuk signed for eight years great but he wasn't willing to do it so uh, they got a great return uh they get the, like Uyghur and Huberdeau, Huberdeau especially, like so amazing, but they're both UFAs, right? At the end of the year, which means that theoretically they could lose them for nothing. Obviously, if Calgary's doing well, they'll hold them and go on a run, hopefully for them. And if not, you know, they could trade them for more assets at the trade deadline. So it's a pretty good return uh, for a player who wasn't planning to sign. And for Florida, you might think they lost these guys, but like think about it. Like either they were going to like people are saying, oh, if, as long as Huberdeau didn't ask for like a crazy amount of money, then like Florida loses this deal because they could have just like signed for Huberdeau. But you have to think of it like Huberdeau. Um, Uh, demands a huge contract, right? He's been so amazing. He just is coming off like a career year. He would have wanted an eight-year contract of his own for probably the same amount of money, like 9.5 mil. But that's like taking you from age 30 to 38. That's like a classic, you know, 30s contract where a team signs it because they want help in the short term, even though they know it's going to hurt them in the long term. Like as opposed to like the Matthew Kachuk deal, where like they've got eight years of Matthew Kachuk in it's prime from like 24 to 32. So I feel like for Florida... You know, but yeah, you could you could like nitpick on whether like they're they've downgraded for next year. We'll also see what they do to make up for the cap space they've gained from losing Uyghur. Maybe they pick up a defenseman. Uh, we'll talk about the fantasy impact if uh, they don't. I think Gustav Forsling gets a bump in that case, but uh, I don't know, Brian. I have so many thoughts, but yeah, I think in general, Florida like really helps themselves out in the long term because they are not stuck with any like bad contracts. Like you know, three four years from now, of like aging players who are getting paid like superstars. So that's my general take on the trade. Do you have like, any general thoughts of your own? before we get into the fantasy impact here?
1: my I, I mean, you shared, I feel like, every thought that could possibly
0: be had on the trade already. <laughs> so I'm not sure exactly what more I could offer, except... Well, I don't know. Maybe I, I thought you'd maybe argue with me. Like, a couple of my friends, my friend Mike today, was like, no, but, like, Huberto is so... And I'm like, I know, but the cap... <laughs> I think it's good. Honestly, I think it's fine. Like at first it made zero sense,
1: and then the more I thought about it, the more sense it started feeling like it made. I wonder if Florida is gonna find themselves in, in cap trouble at some point because of the contract, but they wanted I I agree on the, the point that why not commit to a young player rather than an old player if you're basically going to have to pay the same amount of money, not for the same term to both? And then I think the the big X factor here in Calgary is, of course, whether Huberdeau and Uyghur, what they do with those players as assets, either locking them up long term and holding on to them, or flipping them for what would be then a, still a fair return for Matthew Kachuk. And whether those two guys can help them get somewhere this year if they do move on before next year which would just be I think still sad again for Calgary for to just you know churn through another couple high-end NHLers who don't really want to stay so I feel like it sets the Flames up for another round of heartbreak but if the Flames play their hand right maybe they can do it better this time than they did the last time because they have some very fresh lessons learned about Johnny Gaudreau it's look, I don't know exactly what happened with all the negotiations and why Gaudreau left. Uh, I mean, I read his little thing in the Players' Tribune, Dear Calgary, uh, about the reasons he left, and I followed all the news around it. But you would think that that's something that he might have been closer to knowing during the season and that Calgary might have tried to get proactive with. And so I, I I hope they won't make the same mistake twice and that they'll either Know that if if these guys are committed, they're going to get them committed on paper. And if they're not, they're going to get good assets. So I think, honestly, it's going to be really interesting a year from now to see what happens to really judge the trade. But, like, for this next NHL season, it looks pretty fair. Like, I think both teams serve a need it makes sense i think it's about fair value going each way again that depends a lot on what calgary does with those assets but i'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt at this point and we'll see how that happens but let's dig into fantasy impact right yeah
0: definitely okay by the way I have to correct myself uh, Shams just uh, told me that Florida's actually over the cap right now so I guess they don't they're not gonna be able to sign a defenseman so there you go my Gustav Forsling take is, is gonna hold because uh, he had a good run by the way and now with Uyghur gone maybe he's like the next guy to get power play time after Ekblad I guess also they have him on tour but anyway uh, the main person we should discuss versus Matthew Kachuk so I believe we've talked about him recently just in our last episode we did together Brian we talked about Goudreau leaving and how like him leaving is gonna like hurt a guy like Kachuk who's who just had a career Career year himself he had 104 points 42 goals like what a perfect time for him to cash in like I think what he did was brilliant just as a business person right it's like he's coming off this amazing season now Goudreau is leaving why not like force a trade or force like a con I guess he could have just signed a contract with Calgary right but I guess the main smart thing I think is getting that contract now before he had to play a season without Goudreau where potentially people would say oh well maybe you were just so well doing so well because you were playing with this like Goudreau season that was like out of this world Uh, So now Kachuk is locked in and he goes to Florida and I'm like, you know, it's hard for me to decide if I think this is good or bad for him. Like, I think it's obviously good for him considering that he was going to play on a Calgary team without Gaudreau. And now he goes to Florida where, I don't know. Who's he going to play with? I guess uh, the Barkov line would be the best place, right? If it's like Barkov, Verhagi, and Kachuk, I can't see it being better than that, I guess. Or he could play with like a Reinhardt and Sam Bennett on the second line, which is not as exciting, actually. So it's really hard for me to give a fantasy take right now. I I will say that I'm still with you in what you said last week, that Kachuk's numbers are probably going to go down Uh Even like you were talking in terms of like him staying in Calgary, I think even going to Florida, I think it's be very hard for him to hit 42 goals and 104 points. But if he does play with Barkov all season and is on the top power play, like I, I think he could be close.
1: He could be close, but I definitely don't think he's going to improve on last year's numbers. And I think the odds are against Kachuk matching last year's numbers. And again, this is a great acquisition for Florida, and this is not to knock Kachuk. But it's probably bad for Matthew Kachuk's fantasy value for many of the same reasons as we mentioned last week about Johnny Gaudreau going to Columbus, which is that in Calgary, you know, they had that one line of Lindholm, Kachuk, and Gaudreau. Crazy that only one is left. Very suddenly. Uh, that line wrecked and destroyed everyone they played, and they played a ton of minutes, too. For context, and comparing directly to Florida the top line in Calgary played about 1200 minutes total at five on five and as an aside, all three of them played all 82 games, which is rare, right? Find me in the top line in the league. How many top lines had a perfect record for man games played?
0: Uh, That's a really fun question. Yeah? I'm going to try to think about it while you talk. I don't think I'm going to come up with one.
1: Okay, let me know. And in the chat and anyone listening, uh, point us out to one. Uh, so anyway, the top line in Calgary played about 14 and a half minutes a night at five on five. Uh and in Florida, I went to see who played the most minutes a night. And Elon, I bet you can't guess.
0: I mean, I'm tempted to say Barkov. Like, why not just play Barkov the most? Because he's the best. But I'm assuming that would be too boring of an answer.
1: Too boring of an answer. Yeah, I wouldn't be putting it to you if it was that obvious. It was Carter Verhage? He played the most minutes a night. and because he still...
0: played shorthanded a lot, I guess? No, this is, to... a,
1: this is a five on five. The most five on five minutes per night were played by Carter Varaghi. And that was still I'm shocked. He still played 30 to 40 seconds less than the top line in Calgary. Alex Barkov, he played just over 13 minutes a night, which is almost a minute and a half less than the top line in Calgary. Jonathan Huberto played 12 and a half minutes. Remember, the top line in Calgary played 14 and a half minutes a night at five on five. So that's a difference of two minutes of ice time every single night for Jonathan Huberdeau in Florida versus Matthew Kachuk in Calgary. So if we assume... That situation just flips. You know, I assume uh, Matthew Kachuk is going to be on the line every bit as competent as the top line in Calgary, but I don't expect him to play as many minutes, and that's just straight up going to hurt his ability to produce. Like, if you do the raw math at five on five, last season, Kachuk scored three and a quarter points per 60 minutes, and if I just, you know, pull, like, move him to uh, Barkov or Huberdo type minutes then uh, Kachuk is losing 180 minutes. If you do the math there, that's losing just about 10 points, just based on the time that Kachuk is going to get to spend on the ice, being lower in Florida. Now, that could be offset somewhat if Kachuk plays on Florida's top power play, which they leaned on more heavily last year than Calgary did their top unit. But still, Kachuk is leaving this spotlight situation and joining a wealth-sharing one, and that's not going to help his value. I think you can still expect 90 points, I'm curious, like I'm, I'm actually curious, Elon, would you take the over or under on that though? I think you're going to say obviously over. Uh, maybe I'm no. setting the number uh, too low. No? Okay. You don't
0: know me, t- don't know me that well, I uh, guess. All right. Or you think you do. I know that I'm generally like so overly crazy optimistic. I'm just going to say Matthew Kachuk, before last season, his best season was 79 points, right? So he had this amazing year. I think it was a bit Legitimately. of a unicorn yeah. what do you mean legitimately
1: no like he had a really great year oh yeah like, yeah like i'm not like this is when i'd say well variance wise you know he got lucky here he didn't deserve this he got more than he deserved here and like yeah i think his numbers were a little juiced uh, but i would have expected them to stay juiced if he was on that calgary top line like i think yeah. there was something that was really really working there and uh but he wasn't benefiting from some crazy shooting percentage or some crazy ipp yeah, you know, like sure. everything was was pretty sustainable for him.
0: Yeah, I, I, and I, I'm i not saying it isn't, but also like that line just really clicked in a way where it's really hard to expect him to get something like that again. Like, just, like you know, just roll double six again or whatever in, uh, in, in Florida and play on a line that's doing that well together. So no, I would say under 90, I think I'm probably gonna let someone else draft him in fantasy. Uh, obviously in like your bangers leagues, he's awesome. Like he gets the hits. He, he shoots a good amount. Last year he was up to three shots a game. But like you said, Brian, if he's gonna play fewer minutes, which is like a good thing for Florida, right? Like they don't need, they are, they're so stacked they don't need to like lean on anyone for like so many minutes. Uh but yeah, that's going to lead to fewer points. So yeah, I would probably just bring him to like 85, 80, I don't know. So, something around there. Obviously I haven't like thought it through f- fully enough to come up with a projection, but that's probably where I'm sitting and you know, maybe uh, Panthers fans will will flame me for that. But I do think that he's gonna get fewer points than Hubert Doe would have gotten if he was on Florida, just because I feel like Hubert has like really just like cemented his spot and he's like such a great playmaker. And and I think Kachuk is like maybe like, you know, he's an awesome like all around player. Anyways, I don't I, I hope you get what I'm saying. Maybe we should flip actually to the Huberdo side now and go to the Flames. Uh, because they lose Matthew Kachuk, of course. They get Hubert Doe. So obviously, first of all. Very good news for Elias Lindholm, right? This is a guy who was looking like he was going to be all alone there, especially after Kachuk uh, demanded a trade. I don't think anyone expected that Lindholm would be getting like one of the best playmakers in the league to like play with him on that first line. So like, all of a sudden, Lindholm's value goes up, and also you got to imagine whoever else plays there. Like, if it, Tyler Toffoli is there. Uh, I guess we were talking about either Toffoli or like uh, Manchapani. We were talking about those two as the most likely options to get on that top line to replace Gaudreau. So I really love this for people playing with Huberdeau because he's really like been so amazing himself. And he's also like, I want to give him a lot of credit for like Sam Bennett going from being nothing to being like a star when he went to Florida and like who, you know, who knows how, who else like Hubert Doe has helped elevate. Like obviously there's been great players, but he's just is a really good disher and I feel like it's going to be awesome. And like, he had 118 points last year, 30 goals, 85 assists. In 80 games. It's an insane number. So I guess the same kind of question now about Huberdo. Do you think that he can do what he did last year now playing in Calgary? Or do you think just like what you were saying? Like, do you think that or because maybe it's the opposite now? Like maybe he gets more minutes. If you're saying that you expect Kachuk's minutes to go down, maybe Huberdo's minutes go up so he could even put up more more points.
1: Yeah, I think this could be good news for Jonathan Huberto heading to Calgary. One, he gets more minutes. And hopefully, you know, I mentioned Florida leans on the top unit more than Calgary has. So hopefully Huberto won't lose too much power play time uh, he did have 38 power play points last year so that was a key part of him gathering all the points he did uh and i'm curious to see also if Huberdeau can hang on to this, the penalty kill role that he had in florida that helped him to five short-handed points which is a lot of short-handed points like that's like a league leading amount so that's one reason to be optimistic about Huberto heading to calgary uh the reason to Think a little bit on the other side. Like if you flip it around a bit, you could say that Huberto is going to be facing more scrutiny from opposition defense, who are just going to have one line to key in on, and also won't be utterly exhausted by facing all three Florida lines that are thrown at them each night. So Huberto is going to be in a different situation where you know before you had to worry about Barkov's line and Huberto's line and even Reinhardt's line, and now it's just well you got to worry about hubert owen lynn holmes line and that's about it in calgary so we'll see how that impacts how he's covered uh, by opposition defense and that's one reason to be a little down and also i'll remind everybody like the caveat the general caveat that we set out from last week's shows which is that if a player moves teams there's a lot to learn Right there's a new system, there's a new coach, there's new teammates and chemistry is a real thing like you have to find it. You have to get comfortable. You might not be in a nice living situation. Like there there are intangibles that will impact somebody who's starting off with a new team in a new city wearing a new shirt. So all of that also impacts Huberto. Basically this is all to say I don't see Huberto matching what he did last year. This is a new situation. Uh, He's playing for a contract, so perhaps that will be a motivating factor for him. One thing I'll be really curious about is how he meshes with Elias Lindholm. Uh, Like, if you look at who Huberto played with in Florida, he's playing with Sam Bennett and Anthony Duclair, which is not a terribly adept defensive line, right? Like, they are straight-up offense, and if they lose the puck, look out. And like, they're not great at getting it back. They're not great at like back checking. Uh, this is not a defensive line. That line was just like pure offense, try to score, uh, and that's it. Um, no, Hubertot was still a 90 point player with, more two-way minded centers like Alex Barkov and Alex Wenberg, two very different centermen. But Huberdeau was a 90-point player with both of those guys, and I think Lindholm probably matches their profile a little bit more than the Duclair and Bennett, which I I think is actually going to help Huberdeau overall. It's going to help him to have someone who's defensively responsible on his line. But again, I'm not sure he'll be getting into like these you know basically track me situations every time he's on the ice. I'm also not sure if Daryl Sutter's going to love him because he. He has some well documented defensive deficiencies over the last couple years, and we know how Daryl Sutter feels about defensive deficiencies. So those are that's the whole Huberto picture. What does it all wash out to? I think a, a, a less successful season this year. like if he was staying in Florida, like Chuck staying in Calgary I'd say, yeah, I could see him doing about the same, maybe not surpassing and maybe just sort of approaching and coming close to. Uh, but now i'm I'm knocking him down a like a decent chunk I'm, I'm not as optimistic about Hubert. i'm not drafting him as high as a calgary flame as i would have been a florida panther
0: yeah i'm with you i, I the way i see both of them actually is i'm going to project them both for like their best ever season not counting last season
1: i think that's like where i'm gonna go i to. think that's really good yeah
0: Hubert's best season was uh 78 points in 69 games in 2019 20 like a 93 point pace I would be expecting that and not the 118. And yeah, Kachuk, like I said, like his best season was a 79 point pace. So maybe something are, are around there just because, yeah, like you said, there's so many like potential risks, new situation. Uh, who are they going to be playing with? Are going to have more or fewer minutes? Is the coach going to like them? So yeah, just to play it safe, I'm not going to be reaching for one of these guys. Uh, of course then we still have Mackenzie Wieger here in the conversation to finish this discussion so he himself had like a huge breakout two seasons ago right he was a kind of an I don't say a nobody but you know he wasn't like an impact player for fantasy he wasn't like someone we brought up on keeping Carlson a lot then in 2020-21 he just like exploded like 36 points in 54 games for a 55 point pace like along with all of his peripherals made him like a super valuable player in fantasy and last year like he fell off a bit he ended up with 44 points but still that's like pretty useful in, in fantasy. And he was actually even a lot better for a lot of the year than really kind of fell off right at the end, only nine points in his last 18 games. Uh, so Weger now goes to a Calgary team. And I think for offense... It'll be obviously we have to like project him because like he's now a player that you're going to have to consider drafting in fantasy uh, in terms of the defense. So I think like he's mainly supposed to be a good like defensive player and like someone who's going to help. Like we had a question here in the chat uh, from Adam saying, I'd say Markstrom looks pretty nice behind that Calgary blue line. It was good last year, even stronger now. So you added a, a key piece, like a big minute defenseman who the coach can rely on. So I do like that for Calgary in terms of, yeah, there might be able to be like stay a really strong defensive team and maybe without Gaudreau and Kachuk even with Huberdeau, maybe they have to even rely a little bit more on like lower scoring games in order to win, which I guess would be good for someone like Markstrom. Uh, but yeah, Mackenzie Weaker in terms of the offense, Brian, is he still a 45 point guy? Do you think in Calgary, he barely got power play time last year. I always thought of him as like a second power play guy, but like even as I was talking before I remembered, Brandon Montour actually took a lot of the second power play. Weaker only got like 13% of the power play time, only had uh, one or no three power play points, one power play goal. I guess the year before, he only also had three power play points, but still managed 36 points overall. Uh, So yeah, does he have enough in him to like be this like offensive player that he was in Florida or do we just have... Because remember also Florida was winning games like nine to one like remember all those crazy games where they just scored so many goals Like calgary i don't see them doing that this year with just this one good line for forwards in terms of offense so yeah i don't know i'm like talking myself into the answer as i go <laughs> Brian. but like i kind of feel like Mackenzie weaker's fantasy value goes down a bit in terms of offense
1: for sure. And that's basically because he's on a less offensive team in Calgary than he was in Florida. Like great on ice numbers for Mackenzie Weger last season, which helped him to 45 points and everything under like that looks to be about what he deserved the year before the, the, the 55 point pace that Weger put together uh, seemed a touch high, although not like unreasonably high either. So I think this is Weger's range, 45 to 55 points. I'm reluctant to say he's going to go down though in points. Cause I think this is the sort of player who is going to get 40 or 45 points. And Calgary was not far behind. Like you're looking at five on five expected goals rates. Uh, Calgary was fifth in the league last season. Florida was first. And of course, Calgary might not be as high this season because of losing Goudreau, uh, like in making adjustments. It's so hard to talk about Calgary now, just cause like I've never seen a top line change this much. Like it's, it's, brand new like Elias Lindholm is the only survivor and so trying to figure out exactly what that means is is a big guess but if I were to guess I would guess that the line is not going to be as successful and Calgary won't be as successful offensively and even though by the way Calgary was fifth uh, in expected goals per 60 last season uh, and Florida was first it doesn't feel like a big gap but it's basically a third of a goal per 60 minutes so uh, every three games five on five There was a goal. Um, So just to put it in perspective, Calgary is not going to score as many goals with Uyghur on the ice as Florida did, and I think that's going to hurt his point totals. I'd still put him around 40, 45 points. But yeah, I think I'd have to look at a guy like... You know, I'm not going to say... He's better than Noah Hannafin, I think, offensively. And and, and Hannafin had a 49-point season last year. But again, Calgary's offense is not expected to be as strong. So... I would have both in the 40 to 45 point range. And if I had to pick one to do better, I might lean weaker just by a smidge.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's hard to say if he's better than Noah Hannafin. Like, we've seen him put up a lot of points on a Florida team that scored a ton of goals. Like, Noah Hannafin, yeah, just had this breakout season, like you said. Yeah. Uh, Hunter Mooney in the chat here said, I think uh, weaker legitimately challenges for top power play. The thing is, like, going into last year, we really thought that Noah Hannafin was. I remember I read an article on The Athletic, and I was like, so convinced this was going to be the year Noah Hannafin's going to take over. Giordano's gone. It's Hannafin's team now. He's going to run the top power play. And it didn't happen. It was Rasmus Anderson. And, like, throughout, and at some point, even Brian, uh, uh, a Rasmus Anderson non Believer, at some point in the podcast you were like you know i think that anderson's actually doing pretty well and he's probably going to hold this job and at this point like i don't know like there's Weger, there's hannafin but if hannafin couldn't knock uh you know anderson off of the top power play, I yeah will well like weaker like, didn't even play top power play last year no. so obviously anything's possible but i think that i would not expect Weger to take the top power play with all due respect to hunter Mooney.
1: Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't either. And I also see like Noah Hanfin's big season last year came with 13 power play points from the second unit, largely. And Rasmus Anderson seems to have finally won Daryl Sutter over, right? Like it's been a weird. Uh, two seasons where no flames defenseman could really earn sutter's trust or favor and it seems like anderson's done that so uh, it would be hard for me to imagine him being pulled off the top unit and like you said elon if weger wasn't even second power play in florida i wouldn't expect him to even make second power play in calgary especially since hannafin did so well there
0: yeah okay brian i think we're on the same page by the way, when I read that, it's like Hunter Mooney in the chat. For some reason, I jumped. Remember Sean Mooney, the interviewer from WWF in like the 80s? No. I, I don't know. I, he really like jumped to my head. I got a nice nostalgic feeling. But okay. Does that, co- I guess we've covered the trade, right? Like obviously we could talk forever about what this means. A lot of people in the chat here are having a really interesting conversation about like what this means overall for the teams in Calgary and Florida. But probably we should move on because it's been around like a half an hour. Uh, so let's talk about the other trade that happened this week, which was Oliver Bjorkstrand being sent from Columbus to Seattle for nothing. Basically, absolutely nothing. What? Stupid. No, a couple of people got the reference from last week. It's uh, one of my favorite movies. If you, if you know what I'm talking about, I think you should uh, rewatch. It's, it's funnier as an adult, I think. Uh, but Did yeah. You name the movie. Should I? Oh, I guess last week I said you could guess. And now I guess I'll just say UHF, Weird Owls, like only movie. The, it's so funny. Like, trust me, like you're going to have a fun. I invite friends over, make it like a, don't just watch it by yourself. Like, you know, make it an event. It's special. It also has uh, Michael young Michael Richards, young Fran Drescher. Uh, But anyways, back to hockey. So yeah, we've got uh, Oliver Bjorkstrand going to Seattle. I guess we knew this was going to happen. We talked last week about how when Columbus signed Johnny Gaudreau, it all comes back to Johnny Gaudreau, right? So when they signed him, it was like clearly they didn't realize when they went into the offseason that they were going to be doing that. It was like a last minute thing, an opportunity, and they spent all their money unfortunately they had like signed Eric Goodbranson like a few minutes before I think. And so then now he's locked into 4 million. So yeah, we knew they were going to have to dump someone cause they were over the cap and it looks like Bjork strand was the casualty. So Stinks for Columbus. I mean, to quickly go over the Columbus fantasy impact, we were saying that with Gaudreau in the picture, that was going to bump someone from potential power play role. Uh, so you know, now, like one more person, like either a Voracek or a Nyquist, might be able to stick in the top six, stick on on a power play. So we'll have to see how it all shakes out. But yeah, uh, on Seattle, they uh, you know they took a lot of criticism, Brian, right after that. Uh, draft. Well, I think a lot of people actually were still excited about them after their expansion draft. I think they were just like looking at it with rose colored glasses, thinking, like, well, you know, let, let's just wait and see. Cause, you know, they were thinking of all these players like back in Vegas, you know, when they had Carlson and Riley Smith and Marsha So and Soa, players who like no one really thought were that good and turned out to be good. So I think a lot of people thought maybe Seattle hit on the same thing. We just didn't realize it yet. But then midway through the season, it started looking like, wow, this team like really blew it. They don't know what they're doing. Now I think people are starting to come back around a little bit like, well, they really do have a lot of cap space. Like, yeah, they didn't take Tarasenko in the expansion draft, but they were just able to get Bjorkstrand for free. So that's, you know, that's not too bad. And then, uh, you know, they also got Burakovsky. Uh They signed Justin Schultz. You know, obviously, like, Bjorkstrand is the biggest name there, I guess, and, and Burakovsky. But all of a sudden, now they look like a pretty interesting team to me for next season. Because obviously, they've also got Beniers, and they just drafted Shane Wright. So all of a sudden, we look at, like, a pretty interesting top six, right? Like, we, we've always liked Oliver Bjorkstrand. I feel like the main concern with Bjorkstrand is it didn't seem like he was getting, like, fairly treated, quote-unquote, from his coach. Coaches, right like i feel like brian correct me if i'm wrong i feel like your take has always been like if you give this guy the minutes and the power play time like he has the ability to produce but for whatever reason he just wasn't getting it, it was like a third liner for a lot of the season last year in columbus and not top power play so we'll have to see obviously how it shakes out in seattle because they don't have it's not nobody's right like it's not like he's guaranteed they have schwartz they have eberle they have burakovsky they have like veneers like we talked about so it's not a guarantee that bjork strand gets on the top power play. but i think I'm still going to consider this like good for his fantasy value or at least like good for his ceiling. I feel like he has a higher ceiling now on Seattle. He has to earn it. But I think like theoretically we can see, oh, they have McCann. Also, by the way, when I was listening, Danny Gourd. This is is a pretty deep team. Like maybe no huge superstars, but I'm I'm into Seattle for next year. I guess the big, by the way, the big thing I think that really hurt them, one of our patrons was saying this uh, earlier today, was like Grubauer stunk. I think if Grubauer didn't stink last year, we'd be having a different conversation about Seattle's first season. I think they would have been like a much better team. Like I think overall the team wasn't as bad as they looked just because they got no goaltend. They took a big bet. Ron Francis took a big bet. spending And it didn't, probably didn't even feel like a big bet because he was coming off a great you know, season. And he had a pretty good career. And then all of a sudden Grubauer stunk and then Seattle like just sort of went down the toilet. So if next year, obviously that's a big if again, they're going to need Grubauer to get better. If he's better, I think they'll be good. But, okay, I've, again, talked a lot. I think that'll be a lot about, of this episode, just me, like, talking a lot and then jump-throwing to you to talk a lot. Uh, but, yeah, Bjorkstrand, let's start there. Uh, do you think that this increases his fantasy value?
1: Definitely, it does. Or at least it it increases the potential for fantasy value. You talked about how we've seen this huge upside from him in recent years. And like he seems to be, you know, kind of maligned by the coaching staff and never really given an opportunity. And last year was supposed to be a bit of a coming out party for him. And it wasn't. And we agonized on the show over the reasons why it was one of probably my deepest dives of the year going into what happened with Bjorkstrand last season, uh, through the season, and even... While we're thinking of him as such a disappointment, he still managed a near 60-point pace. But that is disappointing when we were hoping for like a breakout 70-point or more season. The good news that we expected from Bjorkstrand last year was that his power play deployment did finally arrive. Like he finally got... Used on the top unit more often than not, and he delivered with that. The bad news was that at five on five, his game like fell apart. His scoring faltered, and his shots, which had been a core piece of his game, were often absent from the score sheet, including for for lengthy stretches of time. I think due to injury for the most part, but. It was a really frustrating season to be a Bjorkstrand manager when I was feeling so good about having him in a couple leagues after the draft. I thought, yes, I have my guy. But I think he has an opportunity here to start fresh in Seattle, and I hope he's fully healed and healthy. And I think there's a good possibility that Oliver Bjorkstrand, who they acquired for free, is now Seattle's best Winger, You know, I think a, a, one of the reasons why uh, we mentioned Bjorkstrand struggled last year was that he wasn't playing with Boone Jenner, basically, or, or any kind of centerman who could help with his two, like, be a two-way rock. So that would be, like, this anchor that Bjorkstrand could sort of use and be his offensive self and not have to worry too much about the defensive aspect and take the risks that he's used to taking and not getting burned by them. Bjorkstrand didn't have that in a centerman last year but you look at what Seattle's got going on down the middle they've got Yanni Gord like that could be just what the doctor ordered for Oliver Bjorkstrand as a centerman they've got Maddie Beneers who you know we'll see they've even Alex Wenberg who as I mentioned his name earlier in the show as having a pretty decent reputation
0: you love love Alex Wenberg
1: I'm not saying fantasy wise Elon I'm just saying (laughs) is a a two-way forward who could be uh, another former blue jacket here too i liked wenberg and bjork strand at the same time one of them proved me right well and i hope proves me more right which is bjork strand so i I like Bjorkstrand in Seattle. I think it's good for him to have this fresh start. I think there's a really great chance he has a solid centerman. I think there's a chance he remains uh, on the top power play. I mean, you look at the lineup and uh, you see Jaden Schwartz and Jordan Eberle as like the incumbent returning wingers. And like, yes... They're going to be fine. They're going to be like 55 point players again. Jared McKinn, probably the same because he doesn't get huge deployment, even though he would do better if he got more deployment. But Bjorkstrand, I think of anyone in the forward group from last year, because we haven't gotten to Burakovsky yet. But compared to anybody in the forward group in Seattle last year, Burakovsky is the only one with like huge breakout potential. I'm going to say the same for Burakovsky in a minute. But that's what's exciting about
0: him in Seattle. Okay, so Bjorkstrand, yeah, someone definitely worth taking a swing on in fantasy, like at the right time, right? Like, hopefully, he falls in drafts based on his numbers next last year, and then I think there's a chance he can do well. Andre Burakovsky is interesting for sure, as the other like big acquisition from the Kraken. They've locked him down to, uh, I believe, it was like five years at five point five mil. This is a guy coming off an overall strong season, right? Sixty one points in eighty games, twenty two goals is actually a lower pace than his pre well right around i guess his pace he's been around a 63 to 68 point guy in his three seasons in colorado Uh, of course like last season was weird because there were stretches where he was amazing i remember i added him at one point in free agency brian in our bubupful league and he like took like went off and i was like oh i'm so brilliant i'm so great and then he went cold and i dropped him and then he like went hot again and I felt bad, but then shortly after he went cold and got dropped again, it was one of those players that just like really like couldn't get on a run. Like, like if you even look at the season numbers, if overall, like he had was like 14 points is for 17 games, 19 points in his, uh, Next 22 games. So he was like playing like a 70 ish point guy and then really just kind of fell off after that 13 points in his next 21, and then end the season with 15 and 20. And I think Colorado's just one of those teams where it depends so much on where he was playing. Like they had different injuries at different times. But like when he was playing with, he was playing with Kadri for a lot of the start of the year when Kadri had that amazing start. And so obviously that helped. All of that to say, with, with Burkowski, I still don't have a good sense of, like, is he a guy who can get, like, a lot of points without playing with superstars, or is he someone that's sort of, you know, you, you never want to say he's, like, riding coattails, but more just, like, is his production, is he driving his own production? Now he goes to Seattle, or maybe he doesn't have to drive his own production in Seattle. Like, Seattle's obviously not going to score near as, nearly as many goals as Colorado, but... But again, like, let me go through this depth chart, right? Like, theoretically, we can be looking at uh, Burakovsky with Beneers and Jaden Schwartz as line one. Then Eberly with Gourd and McCann line two. Now I'm talking myself into Bjorkstrand's maybe not having a great job. Bjorkstrand, <laughs> let's say line three with a Shane Wright rookie, you know, whatever. So it's like, uh, there's definitely some good players that Burakovsky could play with. Obviously, we have to see if he gets on the top power play. I don't know. I'm turning to the Brian for this episode. I'm kind of feeling a little pessimistic about Burakovsky overall. I feel like I don't think he'll match what he was able to do in Colorado just because, you know, similar to the Florida thing. Like they just scored so many goals and he just benefited from being with all these players who score so many goals. Is your take similar or do you think he can stick around like being a 60 plus point guy?
1: I think there's a good chance he can stick around as a 60-plus point guy. And yeah, this is a real role reversal for you and I, Elon, trying to figure out what's going on. I think one of the things is like for me is whether McCain is going to continue playing wing or play center on the third line. I think there's a good chance he plays wing since Wenberg makes more sense as center. Um, and that would put him in the top six, which is the worry about Oliver Bjork's Bjorksran just to retroactively touch on that. But I love the Burakovsky signing for Seattle. Uh, if you look at the last three years, Burakovsky, no slouch, and that's understating it. He's tied for 22nd in the NHL and five on five points per 60 minutes. So, Burakovsky finds himself in the company of, over the last three seasons, in terms of scoring at five on five, Johnny Gaudreau, Robert Thomas, Max Pacioretty, Matthew Kachuk, Alex Barkov, Jordan Cairo, Nick Ehlers. I know that's a bit of a mixed bag, and those guys have different roles and reasons for why they produce. But Burakovsky's among them, and I think that's worth noting. Also, he's been a mid-sixty-point guy, one of the quieter ones over the last three seasons. He didn't have a huge breakout last year like all these other, you know, guys did, and maybe that's why we're not lauding him. But he still put up one of the best point paces of his career. And he did that with second power play production. And one thing I'm very curious about is whether Burakovsky can see top unit power play time in Seattle. Because looking at his power play production, Burakovsky plays like a top unit guy. He just ends up playing on the second unit. I don't know if you remember going way back, Elon, to the early days of the show. It was Marcus Johansson or Andrzej Burakowski swapping places on the Washington top power play unit, and neither one could stick. But when Burakowski was there, he was amazing. We've seen him be a legit top power play one guy in the past. I'm curious to see if he gets a look there in Seattle. Of course, the downside to Burakowski is he's not much of a shooter. And of course, he is moving away from Colorado, which had uh, a lot to offer him, namely Nazem Kadri. Right? Like Burakovsky played really well with Nazem Kadri. And if I look at the Seattle Centermen, yeah, they're good. Are any of them not? Would I prefer any of them over Nazem Kadri? No. So I think that's going to be one thing to watch: whether Burakovsky can find some magic and chemistry with one of these guys to make up for not playing with someone as great as Nazem Kadri. If one of them could. Develop into being that way, uh, at least approach Kadri's talent. But you know, I think there's enough quality down the middle in Seattle that Burakovsky will hopefully find a centerman he works well with and gets minutes with. I mean, he saw nearly 14 minutes in Colorado last year. Uh, I would hope he doesn't see any fewer than that in Seattle. Uh, One really tricky thing, and I wonder if this is maybe where your where your sort of wet blanketishness on Burakovsky comes from Milan is like it's hard to picture a Seattle Kraken player doing anything great in fantasy after last year when they were like boring to awful fantasy wise but I think there is some value here like when we look at Burakovsky moving to Colorado he became a a reliable 60 point player I don't think he's lost that just because in the draft room you see the SEA next to his name instead of the COL I think that's a good starting point and I, I have faith he can do it in Seattle. There's upside for more too. I think it's a lot like Bjorkstrand, except I think Bjorkstrand's downside is a lot lower. Like this season seems make or break for Bjorkstrand. Burakovsky, he could be boring like Schwartz and Eberly, or he could be more exciting than them. We'll see. But I think there's value, especially if he does click with the centerman. and keep an eye out. If he's on that top power play unit, I would get excited.
0: Yeah, I think the player to me that's the most exciting on Seattle is Maddie Beniers. Like he just like really came out last year in his 10 games and was awesome. And like you'd expect him to only, you know, get better as he ages. He had nine points in 10 games. So like I'll be looking at in training camp who's playing with Beniers. And yeah, I'll be, maybe be a little bit higher on Berkovsky if I see him on that line. So we'll have to see how that all shakes out next brian i guess aside from that seattle did make some other moves i guess a lot like lower impact but like justin schultz i guess he's to me like the Mackenzie Uyghur, just in that he's going to a new situation where i feel like maybe there's a chance he can steal power play time like who's the top power play guy on seattle at this point i guess it's vince dunn who's you know it's like a typical uh islanders top power play guy right he's just like eh. Well, until now they have Dobson. But before, you know, it's like, yeah, Vince Dunn is there. And even if he is on the top power play, I still don't even know if I would draft him in a league. (laughs) Like, even though I'm kind of excited about Seattle in terms of like the players they've brought in. Uh, But yeah, so I do wonder if like maybe Justin Schultz has something, again, like not someone I would draft. And I don't even think someone we need to dig into, but just like a name to remember. Kind of similar to, I guess, Martin Jones, who also I feel like is not someone like I love or anything, but just seeing how badly Grubauer played last year, uh, you know, like, If Grubauer is equally as bad maybe Martin Jones gets the opportunity to play some more games and I don't know but I don't, I don't think he's that great either but don't forget that Chris Reedger is injured for a lot of the season so we are going to see some Martin Jones for Seattle's sake I hope that we don't see a lot of Martin Jones and that Grubauer just settles into being a good <laughs> long term starter and I'll throw one more name before throwing at you Brian this is like a really deep cut that most people won't even know who he is but there's a guy named Andrew Pudorowski and he's someone that Seattle signed out of the Carolina system and I think he's just worth bringing up because he's like one of these players that's never got a real chance in the nhl but he crushed the ahl last year like again this is a 28 year old he had 101 points in 71 games with the chicago wolves then he also had 23 points in 18 playoffs games i believe leading them to the championship so he's like a winner he's like destroying that league got so many points carolina is like a super deep team they actually brought him up for two games and he had two assists so it's like he was able to get points in the nhl but carolina obviously didn't need him they didn't you know re-sign him and maybe. maybe seattle will have room in their bottom six for puderalski and like i said now seattle's a bit deeper so i'm not saying it's an easy you know trek for him to get to the top six but just someone i'm gonna watch i I just have a hunch that we'll be mentioning him on the podcast next like i'm not saying something huge i'm not saying he's gonna like be fantasy i feel like there might be a week where like seattle has a good week and we're like and he's on a bit of a run and we'll mention him so i just want to throw his name out and then we'll see if i'm right about this i want to put my stake my claim but anyway, so Brian, I, I've brought up now Schultz, Jones, and Podorowski. I don't think you need to go dive deep into any of them, but any, any general thoughts?
1: So for Justin Schultz, I'd say that this makes him borderline draftable going to Seattle, seeing how lousy a time Vince Dunn was having on that top power play. But I'm still not getting ahead of myself. Like even when Justin Schultz in the past had power play one deployment, he was never more than a 45-ish point player. It's always been a frustrating guy to have on your fantasy team. And Seattle is not or has not been the most offensive team. So it could work. And maybe he's someone to have on your watch list at the end of a draft or in a deep enough draft. If you want him as like your fifth defenseman or sixth defenseman. Okay, you could take him and then see what happens in camp. And if done, the it rem- as the incumbent remains uh, entrenched as the top power play quarterback, just drop him. Like that's what you could do. You could take a flyer hoping that you you have a guy who gets some power play time in Justin Schultz. But hey, I'm not counting on it. Martin Jones... Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> we've chronicled a lot of Martin Jones's uh, troubles over the last several years on the podcast. Martin Jones has now played below his expected save percentage at five on five for five consecutive years. And he hasn't just played below it. Like, he's played way below it, catastrophically below it. I, I can say that Jones's last two seasons weren't quite as bad as the two seasons before that. But basically, that means Jones went from being... League worst hands down in a league of his own to merely being amongst the league's worst goaltenders. So, uh, if Philip Grubauer and Chris Driedger couldn't do it in Seattle last year, I'm not expecting Martin Jones to come in and save the day. I, I think he'll get time, but I imagine Grubauer, Grubauer got ridden even when he was struggling. Seattle just kept throw- throwing him out night after night. I don't expect that to change. I think Seattle wants him to be a workhorse and Jones will just be there to spell him. Uh, I don't think there's much chance that martin jones if grubauer stumbles martin jones is going to gain enough traction to actually take over the job or even split the starts i just don't see it happening so that's where i am on martin jones and then on podorowski uh yeah he's a really interesting player he's won the hl scoring title the jb sollenberger trophy the last two seasons uh and after a slow start to his pro career like he uh was not i, I he must have not been getting great deployment at the start of his AHL career, uh, he was undrafted. He was undersized. Of course, he wasn't getting great deployment. He's out of college. Like there was nothing here that said, "Oh yeah, like this guy, we're going to work really hard to develop." Uh, he has only four NHL games to his name now. That he's entering his age twenty nine season, but this guy has two hundred twenty four points in his last two hundred AHL games over the last four seasons. That's amazing, and one of those seasons he missed almost all of it Uh, so these are really exciting numbers it reminds me elon of we've actually been talking on our discord about all these like big ahl scores that never made it in the bigs Uh, jason Krog was the one i brought up and denny hamel we had some other good ones that were mentioned in the chat too that i'm blanking on at the moment but uh look he could join that list or he could with his first nhl shot actually make an impact and Seattle seems like they could have room I mean their wings are pretty full at this point but we'll see if he can get a get a look force Seattle to take a closer look at him because he has really shown he's conquered the HL so it's about time that this guy got his fifth NHL game
0: yeah, it would be fun to see what he can do. I, again, I'm not expecting a lot. Like I, probably like a fourth liner if he makes it, but it would be a fun story to watch. Okay, Brian. Next up, let's go to the Oilers. Let's keep Shams waiting on Detroit a little bit longer because I think the Oilers made the next two most impactful moves in free agency, signing both Evander Kane and Jack Campbell. Though in order to make those two big signings, they had to trade away Zach Cassian to get away from his contract. This traded Cassian to Arizona, giving up a few picks including they swapped their pick 29th for arizona's 32nd overall pick which you may think eh, it's just trading down like three picks it's not like such a big cost i i have a hunch so i've been listening to a lot of these prospects podcasts because you know i like uh have my dynasty league and we had a draft recently i think i talked about it in the intro to my last beat writer series which didn't fit at all by the way side note great job this past week by ben talking to jesse granger about the vegas golden knights and samantha pell about the washington capitals both like really amazing interviews definitely i recommend people check those out uh anyways so the player that edmonton could have taken at 29 that arizona ended up taking was maverick lamaru which i'm not too excited about but then 30th went brad lambert who was someone who was expected to be like at the top of the prospects list at the start of last year then he like tumbled down because of a really bad season but he's someone that winnipeg ended up taking a chance on that i think could hit and then next tampa took a 31 isaac howard who a lot of people are saying is like a really good get and tampa got lucky for him to fall so far then edmonton had that new pick that they had some guy named Reed Schaefer. So we'll see. Maybe I'll eat my words and Reed Schaefer will become a superstar. But I feel like Edmonton, they paid a price. I just want to say they did pay a price to be able to clear that contract off of their books from Zach Cassian, And hopefully they've learned some valuable lessons to not... Sign guys who have a really good year because they played with McDavid to like a long-term big money deal. But anyway, whatever. He's gone, and now they have. Yeah, I don't even know who to talk about first. They're both like very exciting. First of all, Evander Kane. I guess we can start there. He's obviously had a storied career at this point, and when I say storied, there's like lots of stories. There's lots to talk about with this guy's career. But on the ice, at least recently, he's crushed it. Right, like uh, he went to Edmonton last year after not starting the year with San Jose, and like he had 39 points in 43 games in the regular season, including 22 goals so it's like a 40 goal pace around then he had 17 points in 15 playoff games it seems like he's gonna you know play with connor mcdavid like it, that, that did seem to be a pairing that worked for them in the playoffs i don't obviously with edmonton like they do change things around sometimes but like there were times during the playoffs where it was like mcdavid dry and evander kane as the line and then other times it was like poolie with mcdavid and kane and poolie might not even be back so who knows but anyways it's like it's not like one of these new players coming to the team where like we hope that they'll get time with mcdavid like with zach hyman we were like thinking we expected it but it wasn't a sure thing and then come the playoffs it wasn't like it seems to me like Evander Kane on Edmonton is like the best spot for him for his fantasy value. Like I'm ready to draft him like super high. Like I might need you to talk me down from this Brian. Like I'm talking like at the point in the draft when like a Jake Gensel is going. No. Like Sebastian Aho. Yeah. No. I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna do that I'm not gonna like with the peripherals with
1: the shots and the hits he's so, so good so the, so that would be the reason to consider him amongst those guys and aho was a better comp than Gensel like Gensel I definitely want ahead of Evander Kane. aho like that that could be a toss-up depending on your categories and look the reason I'm gonna the reason I'm saying this is that I, I think evander Kane's going to be overdrafted this year because of the playoffs that he had he scored 13 goals on 57 shots which is a 23 percent shooting percentage when his career number uh, for shooting percentage is closer to 10 percent uh, the last three years it's also been like in that neighborhood uh, like a little bit above but that's too high and i don't think that's a number that's happening for any logical reason i don't think it'll sustain so i that's why I think Kane is going to be overdrafted. I think that is the most recent memory in everybody's minds, is Kane just dominating in the playoffs with the Oilers. And like you said, he was playing with McDavid and Drysdale at times. I don't think that's going to happen either in the regular season very often. So for that reason, I'm not putting Evander Kane way up on my draft list, and I don't think I'm going to land him on very like many of my rosters because I think I'm just cooler to him. Look, I see a 70, 75 point season here. Remember, even for power play, he's not a lock there. Like he was sharing time. Like he and Zach Hyman were kind of alternating on that top unit in Edmonton. Kane had a 50, 50% share of Edmonton's power play minutes since arriving there in the regular season. So that's why I am not going to reach very high for Kane unless, yeah, unless the hits and uh, and shots are factoring huge into my scoring like that. Banker value, it's there, a hundred percent. It's there, and you need to account for that. But if I'm just looking at points, I think he's a seventy to seventy-five point player, and I think that's good. Like that's the top end of where Vander Kane has been in his career, and that's where I think he'll play to this season.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I mean, clearly we're, we've got our roles back now with me being too excited and you talking me down. It's like, I know where he's been in his career, but he's also never had a whole season with McDavid. So I guess that's why I'm just like salivating a little. But you're right, maybe he, maybe I will draft him too high if I get him in, in some ways. Maybe I won't even get the chance because maybe other people will be even higher on him because I'll still have that voice of Brian Kahn in my head being like, oh, you know, he had a really good playoffs. <laughs> uh, but okay. I could
1: see, like, it's not very far from me eating my words here. Like, th- th- he could totally go off for all the reasons you said, I'm just not seeing from the regular season sample we saw, and we saw a pretty good sample. We saw half a year of Evander Kane in Edmonton, and yeah. he didn't he didn't produce uh, like otherworldly numbers, and he had less of a power play role than he's had in the past.
0: I guess though, if you wanted to, then on the other hand. You could say that maybe it took him some... They eased him in a little bit. Like, you know, he hadn't played for a while. He was developing... Like, by the playoffs, maybe he would like, locked in his chemistry with McDavid. I don't know. But anyways, this is all stories. This is just all things we're saying. So we'll we'll find out soon enough. Uh, Jack Campbell. So he's another guy who recently has been really good. I guess, depending actually how you look. Actually, he was actually his best in 2020, 2021, right? He had a killer uh first season, like starting as the starter for the Leafs. He had a 921 save percentage, but only in 22 games, a so pretty small sample size. And then last season, he started like so hot. He Like I'm looking at the quarterly splits on Frozen Tools. He had a 944 save percentage in his first 15 games, and he had a 931 save percentage in his next 10 games. So through 25 games, he was like in fantasy, like a league winner, like, a t- like top of the league. League, winning almost all his games with huge save percentage numbers and then for his final 24 games like tumbled like so far like just like down the toilet the opposite of thomas grice from a couple seasons ago like this was like lower than 900 save percentage for the second half of the season obviously he was dealing with some injuries uh we had to learn about how to pronounce Schalgren because of his injuries and now I assume he's back to being healthy, and like I guess now, so. Now Brian, like we're looking to him in Edmonton, where he's locked in for what is it, five years at five million per year. Uh, starting as a 30 year old with this injury history, so it's definitely kind of a risky move for Edmonton. But like, I guess if I want to look at the plus side, because I guess that's my role here, it's like I'm willing to at least somewhat like downplay like his bad numbers last year to like him dealing with injuries and just trying to like play for the Leafs because they didn't really have anyone else because Morozik was so bad, and so maybe he just had to play through things. And maybe hopefully next year, the thing is because the Oilers have Stuart Skinner, who I think a lot of people think is really good, so I feel like they're not going to have to force Jack Campbell to play when he's like hurting, you know let him like deal with any injury he has. So I'm, I don't know. I'm pretty high on Jack Campbell. I'd actually love to uh, get your take on him in general, then maybe get a comparison to a guy we talked about last episode in Darcy Kemper, who's going to a new team himself in Washington, like for a similar role, like, you know, they signed him to a similar contract and he's going to be hopefully a volume starter. If he could stay healthy, actually also like Darcy Kemper, two goalies that kind of have some injury histories, right? And so, you know, they can be really good when they're fully healthy, but it's hard to like rely on them to be healthy the whole time. So yeah, I'd be curious to get your take on who you would be drafting higher between a Kemper and a Jack Campbell for next year.
1: Well, before I answer that question, Elon, I just want to like underscore basically what you said about Jack Campbell, which is that he had that great start 942 save percentage through his first 20 games, won 13 of them, and uh, then followed that up with just an 894 save percentage through his final 29 games, which he still won 18 of, by the way, only five regulation losses in 29 games with an 894 save percentage tells you just how incredible that Leafs team was that was playing in front of you. And Elon, I am totally with you that we can't count out that Campbell was playing injured or not 100% or was working through some other stuff that he just wasn't ready to be in the net night in, night out. And that's why he struggled. But boy, did did he struggle. And I would like to think that he would have been shut down if he Was playing this badly because he wasn't 100%, but of course, we know that the Leafs were in kind of a dire situation and wanted it up, up and running and ready for the playoffs. In any case, it's really hard to get a handle on what to expect from Jack Campbell in Edmonton next year. I feel like Darcy Kemper, I just feel a little more comfortable and confident with, like that the team in front of him is a little more stable. And that Darcy Kemper's had at least a few years of being a good goalie under his belt. And those are the reasons why I prefer Kemper to Campbell. Uh, it's not to say that I have like huge, like I'm so sure that Kemper is going to outplay Campbell. Like Campbell could put together an incredible year at Edmonton. It could absolutely happen. I'm not at all counting him out, but it just feels like a, a little riskier than Darcy Kemper in Washington.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. And also maybe we're not like giving a fair shake to the Oilers fans who probably don't care about the comparison to Kemper. They're probably just excited about the comparison to like a Mike Smith or a Koskinen. Like now like assuming that Campbell's healthy, I think it's got to be exciting to finally not go into a season like scared of what's happening in net. Like I think we're we're into Stuart Skinner as a prospect and Jack Campbell has proven that he has the ability to play really well when healthy. So, yeah, good for the Oilers to finally shore up their goaltending. We'll see how this, you know, plays out over 5 years because you know, you're getting a guy, again, like with Doe, right? We were saying, like, Huberto's awesome now, but how's he going to be in, like, three, four years? So that's the same kind of situation. And, and by the way, Huberto would have wanted an eight-year contract. Campbell had to accept a five-year contract. Uh So, yeah, like, good for the Oilers. Uh I guess we'll have to see. Well, their defense, is it, where are we with the Oilers' defense right now? They They've Like, Duncan Keith has retired. Tyson Barry's still there, but he'll be on the third pairing. They've got Broberg coming up. I guess we've decided Cody Cece is decent now at defense. Yeah. So, Overall, like, are we thinking that is like Campbell coming into play behind a worse defense than the Leafs or like a similar defense?
1: I think it's probably not as good a defense, but it is better since Jay Woodcroft has come to town. Like there is a system now and the Edmonton top four is actually pretty good. Like, yeah, we can now comfortably say Cody Cece has found his role. He's found his partner. And yeah, he makes some egregious mistakes every so often, but He's fine playing a top-pairing role with Darnell Nurse. And then you have Brett Kulak, who's great, and Evan Bouchard on the second pair. That third pair is where it gets dicey, if you're looking at Broberg and Barry as being the ones on it. Um, but all in all, uh, like, yeah, Edmonton has a decent defense. It's really just up front. Like, what are you doing when you have your third and fourth lines on the ice? When you have, I'm just reading off the depth chart here, Ryan McLeod and Derek Ryan, or Devin Shore centering your third and fourth lines? What's going on there? And I think that's when you're really concerned. But of course, the others get around that by playing the McDavid and Dryside lines as often as they possibly can. So... I think, uh, like, if I'm looking at last year's numbers uh, to see who had the better defense last year, which isn't fair uh, to Edmonton because they did get better once Woodcroft came into the picture. But Toronto had a top five defense in the league, so like, it's it's hard to leave there. And Edmonton was more of a mid pack team, so I think this is a downgrade for Campbell moving to Edmonton. But it's still not as much of a downgrade as it would have been had Campbell moved there at the start of last season.
0: Yeah, at the end of the day, like if you're playing for the Oilers, you have a good chance to win, even if you play a bad game, just like what you're saying Campbell had in Toronto, because they have the ability to score so many goals. And yeah, we'll see what happens with their bottom six. You're right. It really, you know, they have uh, Matthias Janmark. They signed him to a contract, but obviously you're going to want maybe uh, like Dylan Holloway is ready to come in and and do something. But I think we've got to move on from the Oilers now. And in fact, Brian... We've been chatting for like over an hour at this point. So I think that maybe we should like take a break ourselves and consider this the end of part four, part three. This is part three of our UFA and, and trades analysis special. So, yeah, thanks, everyone, for listening. And if you look in your feed, you're going to see part four waiting for you right away. We've decided to we're, we're done with a two hour podcast. I think that was like turning some people off. So you get to one hour podcast. You can listen to one. listen to uh like a planet money or something you know a palate cleanser and then move on to the next that wasn't a paid advertisement for planet money it's good it's a good show though npr but uh okay brian so thanks everyone for listening i'm always i'm still confused about how to how to end like a mid part episode like this but i'll thank everyone for downloading the show and say that we really appreciate you following us during the summer thanks so much to the patrons com slash patron for more information there if you could give us a five-star review on apple podcast we'd really appreciate it but with that we're going to cue that outro music and i'm not even gonna ask brian to read us the credits we're just going to listen to the nice tones from pat roach and we'll see you all for part four shortly where shams we're gonna talk about the detroit red wings to start part four it's coming okay so we'll see you all soon uh until next time just remember that fantasy is for everyone see you on the other side